For that, we, we're really grateful. And this evening, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 14, that we had uh, read for us so beautifully, so thank you. And it will be helpful if you keep your Bibles open uh, with that passage. But before we continue, let me pray uh, for God's help. Our Heavenly Father, who through the power of the Holy Spirit caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning and growing more like our, like our Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding and prepare our hearts and by the power of your Spirit that we may receive your word with much joy and rejoicing. And may we leave tonight having a deeper understanding of who you are. And we ask this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the words of the book of Revelation. Are you perhaps one of those who gets fascinated uh, with its complexity and the end times uh, prophecies and so on? Or are you one of those who gets um, so perplexed seeing it as a code to be solved? Or are you maybe one of those who avoids it all together because you think it's too difficult to understand and only Bible scholars know how to read and interpret it? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the book of Revelation is a, vit a vital part of all Scripture. Without it, our knowledge of God and His Word would be incomplete. So, if we want to know God more, we need His revelation. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And toward the end of the book, John reminds his readers of a precious promise in the words of the Lord Jesus, in 22, verse 7, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. So tonight, do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be equipped? I hope you do. Because for the next few minutes, as we examine the text, we are going to experience God's grace that will equip us with a strength for today, but also with hope for the future. Our passage for tonight is a vision of the majesty of, of a sovereign God in complete control of His creation. From an early perspective, it might seem that the enemies of the kingdom of God are winning. Christians are being persecuted, imprisoned, and martyred. Tragedy, trial, and turmoil are raging, and the devil appears to be in control. But John's vision reveals that appearances can be deceiving. 
The course of history is not determined by political intrigue or military might, but by God. What John discovered is that there are two worlds, two dimensions of reality. One is earthly and visible. The other is heavenly and invisible. And it is the latter which controls and determines the former. It is as if the Holy Spirit is, um, says to John and to us, listen to me. Things are not as they appear. I'm about to show you things as they really are. I'm about, you, I'm about to take you into the throne room, the control room, as it were, of God himself. Things are not, turn, are not running out of control. The devil has not won. Evil has not triumphed. Neither fate nor cruel chance governs the universe. But he who was and is and is to come has everything well. In hand. So, in chapter 4, verse 2, we see John, the writer of this prophecy, is picked up and transported into the eternal throne room, and we find him saying, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the seated one on the throne is none other than God Himself, receiving praise, worship, and adoration day and night by the four living creatures and 24 elders. And now in chapter 5, the focus of attention shifts to the scroll seal that is in the hand of God. So let's look, let's look at, um, at verses 1 to 7, the scroll and the lamb. And in, ver- in chapter 5, verse 1, John sees that on the, right, on the right hand of the Father lies a scroll. And this scroll represents the destiny of the world. It represents the eternal plan of God. It represents the purpose which God has for His universe. And the scroll was written on both sides, and it is sealed. In ancient days, it wasn't unusual for the scroll to be written all over if the papyrus was suitable. But what is unusual now is a situation that confronts John so deeply, that brings him absolutely to tears as he hears the angel proclaiming in verse 2 and 3. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. No one is found, not in heaven, that is no angelic being, not nor on earth, that is no human being, nor under the earth, that is, no dead being, no one worthy to open the scroll and carry out the plan of God, nobody um, worthy to open the seal and execute God's plan, nobody worthy to bring God's, uh, to pass God's purpose, nobody to rule on God's behalf. And this upsets John so much that caused him to weep and weep. Now, there are several words for weeping in Greek, but John's weeping here means to weep noisily, to wail, to to weep grievously, to weep without being able to be comforted. And why? Because John sees there is nobody um, to carry out the plan of God. The opening of the scroll indicates the execution of God's plan, and if there's no one to open the scroll, then there is nobody 
to execute God's plan. There is nobody to pass God's purpose. There is nobody to rule on God's behalf. And there is nobody to ensure that the people of God are especially careful. What hope is there? But when all, hopes, when all hope is lost, in verse 5 we read, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, this is amazing. When all hope seems to have been lost, John gets the amazing news that the lion... The line of the tribe of Judah is worthy and able to open the scroll and reveal what is to happen. And who is this lion of the tribe of Judah? The elder tells John that the lion of Judah is the Messiah. And in Genesis 49 verse 9, Jacob tells Judah, you are a lion's cub. Judah, you return from the prime, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? And in verse 10 of that same passage, Jacob says, In the future, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he, whom, until he to whom he belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Can you see what is happening here? This is a prophecy. And this messianic, this messianic prophecy points forward to the second coming of the Lord Jesus, the descendant of Judah and the root of David who has prevailed and conquered to open the scroll, to lose the seals and rule the earth. And he always in accordance with God's plan at the cross that Jesus the Messiah prevailed and conquered sin, death, evil, and hell. So as the Lion of Judah, Jesus triumph. So John looks for the triumphant lion. And in Revelation 5, verse 6, he says, then I saw a lamb. And perhaps you might, you might wonder, why is John seeing a lamb when he was supposed to see a lion? It was, supposed to, it was supposed to be a lion because the lion makes prey of others. The lion is strong, wild, majestic, and dangerous. But a lamb? There's easily, they are easily preyed upon. They are weak, harmless, and lowly, used for their wool and as food. Just to clarify, John is not seeing a lion and a lamb standing next to it. No, John looks, looks and sees a lamb. And the point is that the lion is the lamb. And this is Christ. As the Lion of Judah, he was willing to act the part of the Lamb. We see in Matthew 21, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, like a king on the way, on the way, to, uh, on, on the way to a throne. And as he went out of Jerusalem on Good Friday, like a lamb on the way to the slaughter. When driving out the, the money sellers and thieves from the temple, he did it like a lion devouring his prey. And at the end of that of that very same week, he gave his body to be slaughtered like a lamb. And John sees this lamb, and, and it's a lamb that had been slain, as he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, 
And this lamb now is standing in a snow crumple in a heap on the ground as when he was slain. But now it's standing in the innermost circle next to the throne. And this lamb is standing, it's adorned with seven horns. And a horn is a symbol of his strength and power throughout the book of Revelation, as well as in the Old Testament imagery. And the seven eyes are a reminder of his knowledge and his omniscience. And the number seven signifies fullness, completeness, and perfection. This lamb has perfect power, perfect authority in heaven and on earth. So, this is no ordinary lamb. He is the lion and he is the lamb. And look ahead to Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both a slave and free, hidden caves and among the rocks of the mountains, they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Can you see? Can you see what's going on here? We have to see this lion lamb and be reminded that he is the conquering king who will slay the enemies of God at his return. But he is also the sacrificial lamb who took away the reproach of sin, the stink of death, and defeated Satan so that his people may share in his ultimate victory. And back in chapter 5, verse 7, this victorious lamb, lion lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of God who sat on the throne. This is just extraordinary. At the beginning, there was nobody worthy to open the scroll. Now the lion lamb goes to the throne to take the scroll, and surely this must have com confronted the readers of that day, and surely should confront us, should confront us today, and it should confront you, and it should confront me. Now imagine for a moment if indeed nobody would have been able to open the scroll. Or let's put it this way. If Christ had not come and died, there would not have been a single redeemed person. There would not have been a church. There would not have been um, no coming of the Spirit, no promise of the resurrection life, no promise of sins forgiven. Merely assurance of a world gone wrong that, that was finally simply consigned to hell. No new heaven, no new earth, and certainly no resurrected body to see their make and redeemer and recognize Jesus, the lion, the lamb. None of that. But the lamb goes to the throne of the Father and takes the scroll and opens the seals to unfold human destiny. And he does it as the one who has died, the only one worthy and capable to deal with sin, death, and hell. And he purchased our salvation and the price. The lamb who bled shamed and humiliated. The lamb who was slain at Calvary's cross, not for his disobedience, not for his sin because he was sinless, but for our sin, our disobedience, and our rebellion. That was the price of our redemption. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, victorious. He ascended to God's throne to be crowned with glory and honor. And the Bible tell us, tells us that this is the exaltation of the man Jesus. The reward for his redemptive work. So that we are seeing here, so what we are seeing here is the coronation of the mediator 
and we don't see the Father leaving the throne, but the Lamb taking the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. And from this moment on, what we see is the throne of God and of the Lamb who now rules over the universe. Now let's look at chapter 5, verse 18 to 14, the adoration of the Lamb. Now just, as soon as Jesus, the Lamb, takes the scroll and accepts his role as meditarial king of the universe, what happens? There is an, an immediate explosion of praise. Instead of weeping, now there is reason for joy. So in verse 8 to 10, we see those who are nearest to the throne begin the praise. High-ranking angels and 24 elders fall down before the Lamb, and they each have a harp. Harp in the ancient world was understood to be an instrument of joy. And of course, there is reason for joy because the Lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. The sacrifice has been offered. All of God's purposes are brought to pass, and so there is reason for joy. In other words, heaven is a joyous place full of God's centeredness. And along with their harps, they have bowls filled with incense. These are the prayers of the saints which God regards as sweet, pleasant aroma as it ascends to his presence. And in verse 9, we see they were singing a new song. And it is a new song as opposed to the old song at the end of chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 11, it is really a song of praise to God because He is the Creator. Look what He says. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And now it's a new song, a song addressed to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. As they say, you are worthy to take this crown and open its seal because you were slain and with your blood you purchased God for pass. Uh, for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And who are these people? Who are these people that Christ has purchased with his blood? Well, they are the ones who come out out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, according to Revelation 7. In other words, they are the ones who are cleansed and clothed. They are the ones that have been set free from all that held them captive. But because of the Lamb giving himself for them to free them and purchase by his blood to become men and women for God for a price. And the price was the blood of the Lamb. And the purpose, as, as verses 10 states, is to become a kingdom of priests for our God to reign on the earth. To reign on the earth. Now, these have been rescued, these have been purchased to serve God. This is so that those who have been purchased now are ministers to live and to serve God. Know ourselves, because we have been bought with a price to live for Him. Now, there is a song I used to listen to a lot um, as I was growing up in my Christian faith. It is by Michael W. Smith called uh, Above All. I don't know if you have heard it. And I remember, um, I remember going to a church when I arrived in the UK. And I was so excited uh, to see that song as, as part of the worship 
um, repertoire of that day. But when we sang that song, the last two lines were changed for other lines instead. So after the service, I went to speak to, to the worship leader and, and ask about the change. And at that time, I was quite young in my faith, I didn't find his answer satisfactory. However, after all these years, now I understand and totally agree with the change. Because I believe Christ didn't take the fall thinking above all of me. Though Christ paid the penalty for our sin and rebellion, we were not his top priority. Yet, yes, he left his throne and glory to die for us. However, Jesus' highest thoughts were to glorify and do the will of the Father. The object in the atonement was Christ died for God. It wasn't our need that compelled him to um, compel him, but rather the satisfaction of God's justice. In other words, when Christ atoned for our sins, his focus was always on bringing pleasure to God the Father. Therefore, he purchased men and women for God. Hence, we live for God. We were, we were made new for God. We exist for God. Our praise is about God. Our service, our lives is all for God. And blessed be the Lamb of God because He has made them to be kings and priests and they shall reign on the earth and serve God. And they are a kingdom of priests to serve God. Then in verse 11 and 12, John hears a great innumerable host of angelic beings join in, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive a sevenfold a string of descriptions, power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And this affirms the deity of Christ precisely because he follows chapter 4. In chapter 4, only God is worthy of that kind of praise. Now, all hosts of heaven are similarly singing to the Lamb. He's come from the throne, but no different from God. He has brought about all God's saving purposes. And indeed, the Lamb is worthy. And this is the very perfection of praise and adoration. You, Jesus, are worthy to receive it all. But it's not even enough for the redeemed of the Lord, men and women, to confess this greatness nor is it enough for all the angelic um, hosts to confess the greatness of the Lamb. Now it's as if the entire created order recognizes its creator. In verse 13 we read, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on, on, on earth, and under the earth, and, and on the sea, and all that's in them, singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So, the entire universe is singing. Why? Because the entire universe is governed by a throne. And on that throne sits the Father and the slain Lamb. And it is the Lamb's will being carried out in the whole of the universe. And the one who is reigning at all times and over all things is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And this is the hope John 
reminds his readers, the recipients of this letter prophecy, that Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the slain lamb, now sits on the throne with the Father, reigning at all times over everything and above everyone. Can you imagine the comfort, the assurance that this truth might have brought to so many, to those living under persecution, to those who were seeing their Christian brothers taken to prison or taken away to never return, to those who, who were living in times of fear, assurance uh, in fear, assurance to those whose lives were being tinted by trouble and to those whose hearts were torn open with all sorts of worry and anguish, assurance and comfort to those who have gone through bereavement and loss. They can, they can all know that whatever is happening to them, it is the will of Christ which is being carried out. And it is the Lamb who reigns even though wicked Caesar may appear to reign or some other totalitarian dictator or some other movement or group of people. In fact, the only one who does reign is God in Christ. Now, perhaps you could be tempted to think, wait a minute, this description definitely doesn't seem like our days. Here in Richmond, London in 2023, we live in a safe and secure environment. We don't experience persecution for our faith like they did in those days. We have the right to express our religion freely here. We can read the Bible openly and go to church without any government ban or interference. But let me ask you this question. Are we not living in a world that is increasingly oppressive to the church? Are we not living in a world that is increasingly interested in the worship of everyone and everything except Jesus Christ, Lord of all? If we look at our own lives and families and beyond, we recognize this struggle with the inevitable problems of life as we live in this sin-cursed world. We're also in a battle against Satan and the world systems that he operates through his choices. And if we look at our world, we see the deliberate falsehoods that are presented to us from our politicians and the corruption in our government, in our media, and etc., and don't we find ourselves having to deal with the special interest groups in our communities, cities, and our countries around the world that are committed to the complete eradication of Christianity? Aren't we dealing with the anti-God educational system and entertainment industry that bombard us with all manner of evil? And don't we see false religion systems everywhere? We turn on the television, and it is there. We turn on the radio, and it's there. We go to the bookstore, and it's there. And we see false teachers multiplying faster and faster. And on top of, on top of all of this, are we facing economic gloom, human deprivation, a world, that, um, a world at war on multiple fronts, 
issues of morality and security and personal identity affecting the minds of men and women and threatening to undo them. And with an increasingly secular environment, can you still ask, are we both living in the same world? And the answer is yes. But tonight, you can enjoy the same confidence you can discover the same assurance and you can experience the same comfort because there is hope and victory for the believer. Because God wins. Christ the Lamb triumphs and has promised to return bringing a new heaven, a new earth, a new world where God himself will wipe away every tear from his children's eyes. So, remember... The Lamb reigns and His righteousness prevails. As you face life in this oppressive, unjust, and unfair world that brings you to tears and works to make you feel fearful, remember the Lamb reigns and His righteousness prevails. And at times you will feel like everything is against you and you will feel threatened by the evils of this world in all its forms which surround you, making you feel very, very small. If that's so, then remember the Lamb reigns and His righteousness prevails. Satan has lost. Sorrow, sickness, and death reach a tipping point only to disappear forever. So regardless of what happens in this life, no matter how depressing the world news or how dark the season you might endure, life in Christ has a happy ending. And nothing on earth, heaven or hell, can take can never take that away. So brothers and sisters in Christ, when the heartache of this present world weighs heavenly upon you, remember you have to look ahead to the one ultimate vision of justice, only one ultimate vision of mercy, only one, only one way, only one person to bring about all of God's purposes for transformation, for justice, for forgiveness, for blessing. Remember to look to the radiant end of one story of joyous beginning of another. An eternal tale with one central theme. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb of God. And you, and you are safely secure in his hands. Because the only one who reigns is God in Christ the Lamb. Amen. Let me pray. Our great, glorious, and heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us of these eternal truths. And we rejoice in them because they give us such hope, such a confident faith. O most glorious and precious Lord, we ask that by your grace and mercy, and your power, you reignite our hearts and cause them to bring you all praise.